0: Please be aware, the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and even in some cases, offensive. Therefore, listener discretion is advised. You know what? There's adult content ahead. You've been warned. Let's move on. Grab your favorite drink, relax, and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, we're looking into a bizarre disappearance, possibly a murder, definitely a dead body, and a mystery for the ages. Ooh, hopefully that's got your drink stirring up. So, with all that said, we will still be playing our drinking game, and as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. The choice of libation, as always, is yours, so choose your poison accordingly. Alright, now for the game part. How about every time I say, Summit, that will be a single shot, and every time I say, Everest, That will be a double shot. Alright, I know you guys are sitting there going, Ooh, let it be the abominable snowman! It's a Yeti! It's a Yeti! No, it's not a Yeti. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Now that we do have the business end out of our way, we can jump headfirst into today's Dark Enigma. So, schedule your Sherpa, because we're looking into The Mysterious Lost Expedition to Mount Everest few mountains of the world have captured the imagination of mankind quite like Mount Everest. It is a colossal peak that for centuries was seen as one of the last unconquered domains on earth, its peak beckoning explorers and remaining just as inaccessible as the face of the moon. The mountain has also claimed its share of victims its sheer size and unforgiving, almost malevolent weather seemingly conspiring against those who would attempt to conquer it. Among these is an expedition launched in the 1920s, which would aim to be the very first to reach the summit. And which would disappear under mysterious circumstances, spiraling into one of the greatest mysteries of the 20th century. Located within the remote Mahalangor section of the Himalayas, and with a peak standing at a mind-boggling 29,029 feet, or five and a half miles above sea level, Mount Everest has long been a mysterious and awe-inspiring place. It has also always held a powerful allure for adventurers, its siren call drawing in many brave climbers over the years who would conquer it, yet the soaring peak of the mountain once remained frustratingly elusive and inaccessible defeating numerous well-equipped expeditions with a seemingly endless barrage of perils, including difficult terrain, notoriously unpredictable weather, avalanches, altitude sickness, treacherous gorges and chasms, frigid temperatures, and many other weapons in its arsenal of an apparently malevolent mountain that almost seemed to not want to be climbed. History currently holds that it was not until the 29th of May, 1953, with the groundbreaking expedition of Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay, that the summit of this perilous, monstrous mountain was finally reached. But is that the real story? Was there anyone else who may have reached the summit long before Edmund Hillary's historic achievement? Well, I'm here to tell you. There very well may have been. Go back to the 1920s and Everest loomed large not only over the landscape but also in the public's imagination. This was a time when the age of exploration was in full swing, with the North and South Poles already conquered, and humankind making great progress in penetrating into the previously dark and mysterious remote jungles, oceans, and mountains of the world. Everest was widely seen as posing one of the great final frontiers for exploration. Having never been climbed, and very little known about whether it was even possible to do so. By 1921, no one had ever climbed higher than 24,600 feet, and each step closer to the summit tested our knowledge of our own physiological limits. Each extra foot gained a new frontier into the unknown no one knew what would happen to the human body at such altitudes, or if we could even survive at such heights, making this truly uncharted territory. And so, by 1922, the closest we had gotten to the summit was a merely 8,320 meters, or 27,300 feet. Still far from the summit, yet as far as anyone seemed to be able to go, leading Everest to become known as the third pole. The peak of the mountain became an almost mythical, seemingly unattainable quest for many, including one adventurer by the name of George Lee Mallory, who in 1924 would go on to launch an expedition that would go on to puzzle both climbers and historians alike, and take its place in the pantheon of great adventure mysteries. The 36-year-old Mallory was a highly experienced and celebrated British climber who had already made two unsuccessful runs up the face of Everest in 1921 and 1922. Other expedition members often spoke of Mallory's obsession with reaching the summit, a mission which he took as a very personal quest, which he would die trying to achieve if it came to that. He was an undeniable, tough-as-nails, old-school adventurer, eschewing the use of supplemental oxygen since he saw it as somehow unsportsmanlike, although he would later come to the conclusion that reaching the top of Everest would be physically impossible without it. It was for this reason that he ended up hiring a fresh-faced 22-year-old undergraduate student by the name Of Andrew Sandy Irvine, who had zero high-altitude climbing experience, but was nevertheless an avid sportsman, having been an accomplished rower, and had incredible engineering acumen, being an expert at repairing the supplemental oxygen equipment used by the British Mountain Expeditions. Unwieldy bottle-like apparatus which were heavy, unreliable, and prone to breaks or leaks. Irvine would also be invaluable for maintaining the cameras, stoves, and pretty much any other mechanical device during the expedition. With the help of Irvine, Mallory was able to increase the functionality and strength of the oxygen tanks, designing a tank that weighed five pounds less than the usual, called the Mark V, but it was still a cumbersome beast to drag up a steep mountain at around 33 pounds. Nevertheless, this oxygen was seen by Mallory as the key to reaching the forbidding summit of Everest. The two made their preparations and with great fanfare started their adventure as national heroes with a 13-strong expedition and equipment that would have been very primitive by today's standards. After several days of ascending the face of Everest, Mallory and Irvine had climbed up to the 26,800 feet on the eve of their final push to take the summit in order to set up a small camp, after which Sherpa guides were sent to tell the rest of the expedition, who were at another camp further down the mountain, that they planned to reach the peak the following morning. The next day, on June 8, 1924, Mallory and Irvine set out for the summit of Everest in clear conditions, although the last person to see them, team geologist Noel O'Dell, who watched them through a telescope, noticed that something must have gone less smoothly than planned as the pair began their ascent at 12.50 in the afternoon rather than the early morning hours they had originally stated. Nevertheless, Odell reported that the two climbers appeared to be climbing strong and reached a place at around 28,227 feet called the Second Step, just below the Summit Pyramid without incident. Odell felt sure at the time that they would have no trouble reaching their goal, but then a thick bank of sudden clouds and mist enveloped them, and they were lost to view. They would never be seen alive again. The concerned Odell made his way up to the high camp from which Mallory and Irvine had set out to investigate and found evidence that Irvine had been tinkering with the oxygen apparatus, with hardware from the equipment strewn about the tent. Unwilling to go any farther up the mountain to search due to a sudden swirl of fierce wind, driven snow and mist that had descended upon the mountain, Odell returned to the lower camp and resigned himself to keeping a lookout for the two men. For two days there were no signs of the two lost adventurers or indeed of any life at all from the cold wasteland above and Odell went back one more time to the high camp to find that the tent remained abandoned. Subsequently, Mallory and Irvine would be declared missing, yet it was totally unknown if they had actually reached the summit or not, and no sign of what happened to them could be found. It was as if the mountain itself had swallowed them up whole. It would be years before any clue whatsoever from the doomed expedition would be uncovered. In 1933, a member of the 4th British Everest Expedition by the name of Percy Wynne Harris found an ice axe at around 8,460 meters, or 27,760 feet, which it was determined must have belonged to Irvine due to the characteristic three nick marks that he was known to put on his belongings. The ice axe find prompted a good deal of speculation, with various theories thrown about for why it was there, including that it was evidence of the scene of a fall, that it had been dropped accidentally, or that it had simply been placed there to be picked up again on the way back down. No One Knows Another tantalizing clue would be found in May 1991 in the form of an old-fashioned oxygen cylinder determined to be from the expedition, but the bodies of the climbers themselves would remain elusive. Over the years, the mystery of the Mallory and Irvine disappearances would draw several expeditions in search of answers, and even Edmund Hillary himself kept an eye out for any evidence of what had happened to them during his own expedition, yet there were no clues, no further traces of the two vanished men. The most major clue of all was discovered in 1999, when the Mallory and Irvine Research Expedition located Mallory's body, which had originally been thought to be that of Irvine, lying face down, arms akimbo, and with fingers dug stubbornly into the ground as if he were still trying to climb even in death, as well as with a rope around the waist, and a funnel-shaped basin around 300 meters below and 100 meters to the side of where the ice axe had been found in 1933. The body had been remarkably well preserved by the unrelenting frigid cold and was covered with various contusions and gashes suggesting a fall. This was further supported by the presence of severe hemorrhaging in the area where the rope was tied indicating major rope jerk trauma and implying that he had fallen a long distance possibly while still tied together to Irvine. In the forehead of the body was found a large puncture wound that matched the dimensions of what would be inflicted by an ice axe, which led to speculation that Mallory may have been sliding down the rock slope and using the axe to control his speed when it bounced up from striking a rock to hit him in the head and kill him that the body was found off their intended route and several hundred feet below where the ice axe found in 1933 was located also seemed to indicate an accident. However, despite all of these clues, it is still unclear as to what had actually transpired or what exactly happened in the moments leading up to his death. Although Mallory's body had been found, Irvine's never has. All we have are cryptic sightings and clues. One sighting was made in 1975 by a Chinese climber named Wang Hongbao, who claimed to have come across what he described as an old English dead, wearing old-fashioned clothing and lying on a rock as if sleeping and with a hole in his cheek at 8,100 meters during the Chinese Everest expedition. Unfortunately, Wang died shortly after in an avalanche before any more information could be obtained. It was most likely not the body of Mallory, as the description just doesn't fit, and so it has been speculated that he had in fact seen the body of Irvine. The body of Irvine has been allegedly seen by other Chinese climbers as well, with a sighting by an expedition leader, Xing Jing, in 1960, and another by a member of the 1960 Chinese expedition, Wang Fu Chao. A cheering George Sherpa also claimed to have seen the body of a white man in army-colored clothing while working as a porter on the Japanese 1995 Nihon University expedition. Dorje would go on to make plans to launch an expedition to retrieve the body, but it was canceled when the proper funding didn't materialize. Yet, despite these clues, Irvine's body remains missing its whereabouts unknown although there are no shortage of explorers seemingly every year claiming to have discovered its location unfortunately considering the daunting terrain the large amount of ice and snow cover and the weather conditions it's almost a miracle that they ever found Mallory's body so Irvine's may very well be lost forever besides the matter of what exactly happened to Mallory and Irvine The case offers other mysteries, with one of the most enduring and puzzling being whether they had managed to reach the summit of Everest nearly 30 years before Edmund Hillary. It's a subject which has stirred up a great amount of debate, and for which there is frustratingly little evidence available to help us come to any sort of concrete answer. The terrain is treacherous and difficult, especially the second step, before the summit, a daunting climb even with modern equipment, and Mallory and Irvine had, would have been crudely equipped by today's standards, lacking many of the fixed ropes, anchors, and other gadgets modern climbers have at their disposal. They also would have been dressed in garbadine, wool, cotton, and silk fastened with fly buttons rather than the high-tech materials zipped up tight used in later years, casting doubt on whether the clothes of the era would have been adequate to protect them from the frigid, deep-freeze temperatures high up in the mountains. Nevertheless, it has been surmised that the gear they had was probably adequate for reaching the summit of Everest, and textile studies at British universities have shown that their rudimentary protective clothing would have been actually surprisingly effective in the freezing conditions. All of this makes it seem that it was at least feasible that Mallory and Irvine may have reached the peak. But the question remains, did they? The discovery of Mallory's body did little to cast much illumination on this particular puzzle, as it is uncertain whether he had been on his way up to the summit at the time of his mishap, or if he had been on his way down after already reaching it. However, there are a few clues that actually tend to point towards the possibility that he had indeed reached his goal. One is the fact that his snow goggles were found in his pocket, which seems to suggest he was heading down the face at night, since they would have been necessary in the blinding white of the daytime snow. A nighttime or early evening descent would seem to suggest that he was on his way down from reaching the summit at a late time, which coincides with their unexpectedly late departure. It is thought that if they had not reached the summit, then it would be unlikely Mallory would still be at that high location at such a late hour, although it could also mean that he was coming down after he had simply given up trying and failing. Another clue is a missing photograph. Mallory's possessions were just as well preserved as his corpse, and there was a photograph of his wife conspicuously missing. This is important as it was well known that Mallory always carried a photo of his wife with him and had intended to place it at the summit if he ever reached it. The absence of the photograph could mean that he reached the peak and he had placed it there as intended or it could mean that it was simply dropped or dislodged from his pocket during his fall. Tantalizing clues yet ultimately inconclusive stubbornly. Other series take a more negative route, saying that there is meteorological evidence that that a sudden, fierce storm had descended upon Everest on that fateful day, or that at the very least a sudden fatal drop in barometric pressure had hit, either of which, which would have made it impossible for the pair to have conquered the mountain. The evidence, which is held at the Royal Geographical Society, found that at the time of Mallory and Irvine's summit attempt, there had been a barometric pressure drop of 18 M-bars, or in layman's terms, a catastrophic fatal drop. Such a steep drop in pressure would have robbed the team of already scarce oxygen, and would have subjected them to a profound hypoxic state despite their oxygen equipment. In other words, if this data is true they would have been done for. And it has been argued that this deadly weather plus the fact that Mallory and Irvine were heading into undiscovered country and were uncertain of which route to even take would have conspired to doom their attempts. Others take the circumstantial evidence from Mallory's body, Mallory's expertise and experience and their close approach to the summit as suggesting they did indeed make it. For his part, Noel O'Dell the last to have seen the two alive on that fateful day, was confident that they had made it. He wrote in the 1924 book, The Fight for Everest, and I quote, The question remains, has Mount Everest been climbed? It must be left unanswered, for there is no direct evidence. But bearing in mind all the circumstances I have set out, considering their position when last seen, I think myself there is a strong probability that Mallory and Irvine succeeded," End quote. Yet for all of the theorizing, no one can really be sure. Perhaps the best chance we ever have of finding out if they had indeed been the first to reach the summit is if either of the chest pocket Kodak VPK cameras the pair were known to have been carrying at the time are found. If Mallory and Irvine had indeed reached the summit, they would have most certainly photographed this historical event with their cameras, yet neither one of them has ever been found. No camera was found on Mallory's body, meaning that he either dropped it somewhere or that Irvine was in possession of both cameras. One reason that finding Irvine's body has been seen is so important is that if he had even one of the missing cameras on his person, it could offer final proof of whether they had reached their goal or at least offer more insight to what happened on their ill-fated expedition. It is unclear whether the film within the cameras would still be any good, but Kodak film experts have stated that if the cameras had remained in good condition, then the sturdy black and white film of the day could have remained in a deep freeze and could still feasibly produce printable images. Finding either of the missing cameras has been seen as sort of a holy grail towards finding the answers to the conundrum of the Mallory-Irvine expedition, and would solve the puzzle once and for all. Then again, if the camera's structural integrity has been compromised, it will likely only lead to more frustration. The disappearance of Mallory and Irvine, and the question of whether they were the first to Mount Everest nearly three decades before Edmund Hillary, has become a perplexing historical mystery and daring adventure story rolled up into one and has attained an almost mythical status. Enduring curiosity as to the fate of the expedition has inspired deep fascination and made sure the race continues to rage on for expeditions to delve into this relatively unexplored no man's land to find answers. Unfortunately, many of these expeditions seem concerned primarily with how much money they could make off of the discovery, the bidding war for images of Mallory's body no doubt putting dollar signs in their eyes, and it is this crass commercialization of the whole endeavor that has convinced many that it is perhaps better if Irvine's body is never found. In particular, Irvine's relatives and family have expressly made clear their opinion that the expeditions are distasteful and offensive, with most of them wanting him left in peace. There seems to be no question that discovery of Irvine's body will be the catalyst for extensive legal battles facing those who find it. So, what happened to these two intrepid explorers who dared to face down the mysterious, massive, hulking Everest in a time when no one else had even dreamed? Did they reach the seemingly unreachable summit first in 1924? Well, until more concrete evidence is found, it's unlikely we will ever know for sure. They weren't the last souls to be claimed by the mountain, with around a hundred and fifty climbers meeting their doom upon its craggy face, sense, and there will undoubtedly be more. And that is perhaps the most enthralling mystery of all that even well into modern times the majestic, imposing, and vast Everest can still cast such a powerful, all consuming allure that draws so many to seek its perilous summit and perhaps even their own deaths to be among the nearly six hundred brave souls who've actually reached the top. One can only wonder how many more lives the mountain will claim as its own. How many more mysteries will it accrue before we'll ever find the answers? And with that, my darlings, we've come to the end of our episode. And I do thank you for joining me here today. I hope you'll take the time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on what you think. You can always reach me and the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com, and if you have suggestions for any future shows, or you just want to tell me what you think, drop me a line because I do reply to all emails. And on that note, that's all the time we have for you today. I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio, and don't forget to tune in next time. And before we go, I wanted to remind you that I am starting another show. It's probably gonna be somewhere around the first of the month. I hope you guys will like it. It's gonna be quick, it's gonna be easy, but it's gonna have you thinking of things. As always. I love you, my darlings. See you, my heathens. Mwah, 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 mwah. We don't sugarcoat shit. <laughs> This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.